0: Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to The Well. Uh, it's been a couple weeks since we've been in this room together because we were on this thing called Spring Break. So welcome back from Spring Break. I hope you all had a great break no matter where you went, no matter what you were doing, whether you are on a campus ministry trip or not. Uh, but I've heard from many of you that you're coming, kind of coming back on a little bit of a a spring break high, if you will, right? And we love that. We love when people have these mountaintop experiences where they've encountered God in these new or real or um, fresh ways. And so for many of you, that is true, and we celebrate that with you. However, as we were—I was in Dallas, and as we were sharing— All right. As we were sharing some of our stories, I was quickly reminded that not all of life can really be hopping from mountaintop experience to mountaintop experience. And although we want that and we long for that, often there are these things called valleys in between the mountains. And I think that's more of a realistic picture of what life really is right? Life includes things that are really good and really fun and things that are worth celebrating and there's also these things that are just hard or devastating. Like our friend Callie shared already tonight, things can be hard. And so what do we do with those seasons, right? Um, On April 26, 2006, there was a semi-truck driving on the highway of Indiana. The driver lost control, crossed over the median, and barreled into a van filled with students and staff from Taylor University. Five people were killed immediately. One of those who was killed was Whitney Sirich. Hold on one second. Here we go. There you go. Whitney. Whitney was the daughter of Stacy's youth pastor in a small town in Gaylord, Michigan. One of the survivors was Laura. Laura suffered life-threatening injuries, was taken by helicopter. She's in ICU for several weeks. Family and friends came and stayed by her side 24-7 for several weeks. Thankfully, miraculously, that person in the hospital came through. But Whitney and the others were buried. They had memorial services. We don't really like to talk about things like this. The heavy things, the hard things. Just in our own community, this past week, there was a, another college student at Kelvin. Her name was Tara. Tara graduated from my alma mater, South Christian High School, student at Kelvin College, tragically killed in a car accident. And there are friends and there are family members who are grieving. This is what the valleys look like and feel like. And if there's somebody in this room who has ever lost a family member or a close friend, you know that feeling. The heart just hurts so much, it's just devastating. What do we do in these kinds of seasons? This semester, we're looking at the different encounters with Jesus through the Gospel of John. And tonight we want to look at a story where Jesus, Jesus lost a close friend. Turn me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And as we're, just a quick word about context. As we're coming to this story, Jesus is making his way from the north in Galilee, where he lives, down to Jerusalem because this festival of Passover is coming, and all the religious Jewish people had to go to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. But this was not just an ordinary Passover. Jesus was coming to Jerusalem knowing that it was going to be his last Passover, Jesus is coming to Jerusalem, and he knows that his time has come, and he himself is also going to to die. So, as Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem, we encounter the following story: John chapter eleven, starting at verse one. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Now jump down with me to verse 14. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. All right, I want to stop here for now before we continue the story. A couple of cultural things to note. Okay. In verse 19, it says, Many people had come to Martha and Mary's house to console them. This is likely a reference to a Jewish practice called sitting shiva. Say sitting. sitting. Shiva. shiva. Sitting shiva um, is the custom where they would come, family and, family and friends would come and sit and grieve and mourn and simply be with those who are grieving for seven days. The Hebrew word shiva is seven. So they would come and they would sit, just family, friends, they would come and they would sit and just be present with the grieving family for seven days. During this time, the primary mourners would never leave their house. Visitors are constantly there for the whole week to just comfort and pray with them. They would sit on low stools or benches or most likely on the floor, pray with them. You sit there with them, often in silence. And if you're the friend or the whatever that's coming to be with the people who are grieving, you would never initiate the conversation you're only there to listen. And if they want to initiate conversation, then the the people who are primarily the primary mourners, they would speak first. This is also actually the context for the book of Job. So Job goes through this horrible tragedy, loses all of his everything, and then he's got these two friends that come, and the rest of the book of Job is kind of this conversation that's happening, and I think that's happening over sitting Shiva. And i think it's a beautiful practice a beautiful custom it's not just a we're going to come in real quick and say hi and give the people who are mourning a hug and then we're going to bolt so we got this baseball game we got to catch but seven days life stops because we want to really grieve with this family The other thing is Numbers chapter 19 talks in great detail about God's laws regarding touching a dead body. For example, it says this in Numbers 19, "...whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean for seven days. He shall cleanse himself with water on the third day and on the seventh day, and so be clean. But if he does not cleanse himself on the third day and on the seventh day, he will not become clean." Because of Old Testament laws such as this, prohibiting being you know touching a dead or dying body, the custom became to bury people on the same day that they had died. So you would bury somebody on the same day that they died. This is actually still true to this day. A couple years ago we were on one of our Israel trips, and our bus driver, Ellie, also got a phone call and found out that his father had passed away. So we had to kind of hurry, get back on the bus. Get, he had to drop us off at the hotel, and he had to drive straight to his house a couple hours away before sunset because that night he was burying his father. This is just part of the custom. They would anoint the body, wrap it in fine linen, they would put spices and ointments in the folds, and then they would place the wrapped body in a cave. And in this cave, it often had like a, a shelf that was almost like a a horseshoe shape with, you could put several bodies on this horseshoe-shaped shelf in this one cave, and that's where they would place the body. And then they would put a large stone at the mouth of the cave. Here's one example uh, that we've found that's still in Israel to this day. The spices and the ointments that they put in the folds of the linen cloth were used to to disguise the smell of decay especially for those who are visiting the tomb the first few days before modern medicine could distinguish between somebody being comatose and somebody being dead i mean if it's like okay they're dead and we got to bury them this day modern medicine you know has helped us distinguish between these two things So the custom became to go visit the tomb every day for the first three days as a way of mourning and grieving, but also as a way to make sure they were really dead. And it feels kind of weird saying that, but that's really what was going on. And the rabbis actually tell two stories that I know of where uh, people were wrongly buried. They were actually only in a coma, and people went back to the tomb to just, you know, grieve and mourn. And then one guy came back and lived another 25 years. Another guy came back and he had five more kids. Talk about a comeback, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this, the, the custom became to go visit the tomb every single day for the first three days. Uh, these were called the days of mourning or the days of weeping. In addition, many Jewish people believed that the soul would be, re- remain near the body for the first three days after death and hope that the soul would return to the body. So after three days, there's no more hope. They still grieve. They still mourn. But then a year later, they would go back to the tomb and they would collect the bones, and they would put the bones in a bone box called an ossuary. Sometimes the outside of the bone box would look, you know, something like this, decorated or whatever. This is actually the bone box of Caiaphas, who was the high priest of Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. So that's a little bit about what the burial practices look like, and I think this is helpful for our story here in John chapter 11. Let's continue. John chapter 11. Let's jump to verse 32. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was Deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? Jesus asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of a blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. How is Jesus feeling right now? How is Jesus feeling? The King, the Creator, the Almighty God, these verses describe how he's feeling. Verse 33 Jesus is deeply moved and greatly troubled. Verse 35, he weeps. Verse 36, they say, See how Jesus loved him. Verse 38, Jesus deeply moved again. I love how these verses show the the humanity and the compassion of Jesus. He clearly has a deep, deep love for his friend Lazarus. Doesn't he? Jesus is, is grieving and he's devastated by this news. How long has Lazarus been dead? Four days, four days. Days one, two, and three, Mary and Martha and friends still had a tiny glimmer of hope. Maybe, maybe he was just really sick, maybe he didn't really die. Maybe, maybe he's just in a coma. Maybe. But by day four, any and all hope was gone. Lazarus was no longer in a coma, he was dead. Day four, kind of dead. So dead that decomposition might have even started to take place. Martha tells Jesus that there would already be this foul odor. So in that moment of total despair and desperation, in one of the deepest, darkest valleys of life, in a moment when all hope was lost on day four, let's continue the story in verse 40. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Are you kidding me? Day four, in the midst of sitting Shiva, in the midst of horrible grieving where the heart is just aching like no other ache that we can even imagine. Can you imagine the kind of joy and celebration and total confusion And thousands of questions that they must have been asking when Jesus says, Hey, Lazarus, come on out, buddy. And he does. And he does. Many of us in this room have heard this story before. And I hate that. And I hate that because I feel like we just get numb to that. We know how the story goes, Ben. Thanks for telling us. Right? But how do we feel this? No, he's dead, decomposing, in a tomb, wrapped with linen cloths, and got oils and ointments on him because he's going to start smelling bad soon. And Jesus says, hey, Lazarus, I know there's no hope for you anymore, except there's hope for you because of me. Come on out of that tomb. And he does. On April 26, 2006, Whitney Sirek had died. Four days later, they had a memorial service for her. 1,400 people attended her funeral. But then, five weeks later, after the accident, it was discovered that Laura, who was in a coma in the ICU over the last several weeks, had been falsely identified. And the woman who was sitting in the hospital bed for the last five weeks with another mom and dad sitting by her side, twenty-four-seven, was Whitney. And as soon as the hospital realized this horrific error, they called Whitney's parents, Stacy's youth pastor. Guess what? This is not a joke. Whitney is alive. Can you imagine that feeling as a parent? Whitney's mom took the phone call. She thought it was a total joke. The guy called back again, said, "It's not a joke. This is a true story. I need you to come to the hospital right now. I need you to identify her as your daughter. Bring her dental records." This is a true story. It happened in 2006. Can you imagine the joy and the celebration and the emotions that her family and friends must have been feeling because they buried her. She was dead. And then they find out weeks later that actually she is still alive. Whitney is maybe the only person on the planet, probably the only person on on the planet. Who has literally watched her own funeral? She has read her obituary. She has visited her own gravesite. Four years in the same church that she was buried in, four years later, she was married in that same church. And now, today, she has three beautiful kids, and she is passionately in love. With Jesus, the one who has raised her from death to life. In the deepest, darkest of valleys, even on day four or week five, there is always hope because of Jesus. I love love this verse from Jesus, verse 44. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes. The Greek word is luo. Say luo. Luo means to loose, untie, be set free, either literally or figuratively. Unbind him. Lazarus, let's take off Lazarus' grave clothes. Jesus wanted Lazarus to be free, for he was no longer dead. Lazarus had been given new life, and he, but he couldn't fully experience this new life if he was still walking around with his grave clothes on. I mean, can you imagine this next week, Lazarus is still walking around with his grave clothes on? Yeah, I was that guy, but I'm, I know, this, it looks a little funny, but I'm, I am alive. Oh, Jesus said, take off the grave clothes. Why do you need to take off the grave clothes? Because you don't need them anymore, because now you are alive. When we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we too are made new. We too go from death to life. And we too no longer have to be tied to our past. We too no longer need to be wearing grave clothes. Ephesians says this, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Jesus wants us to live fully alive and to leave our past behind. For we were dead. The scripture says, we were dead in our sins and in our transgressions but because of Jesus we have been called out of the tomb and into new life my problem is that sometimes i feel like i still i still stink Sometimes I feel like, as silly as it must have been for Lazarus to keep walking around with his grave clothes on, I feel like I am tempted to do the same thing sometimes. This, this former way of my life of sin and transgressions, sometimes I just I, I want that again. I'm just going to put that on again and ignore this new life that I've been given in Christ but I don't want to stink anymore. I don't need those grave clothes anymore because that's not who I am. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And you were dead, but now you are alive. So how do we help each other take off these grave clothes that some of us might still be wearing? Jesus wants to luo us, to set us free from these things that are from our past. Many of us, many of you have found new life this year through campus ministry, through the well, through a life group or through spring break or whatever it is. We love that. We celebrate that. We give thanks to God for the ways you have found new life. there's also many of us who stink still walking around with this former way of our lives Jesus wants to offer us new life he wants to call us out of the grave and say take off these grave clothes you don't need them anymore so what about you? Are you bound by greed, pride, the need to succeed, coveting things, misusing things, misusing alcohol? Are you bound by lust, inappropriate uses of the internet? Are you bound by your self-image, self-harm, and eating disorder? Are you bound by something that represents your former way of life? Wake up, come forth, come on out of that tomb. Because Jesus wants to offer you new life. I love these verses that we looked at so often last semester in Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance. Let us throw off these grave clothes, these things that so easily entangle us, and let us run out of that tomb into the new life that Jesus offers us. One final PS of this story that I think is kind of humorous, actually. So Lazarus is raised from the dead, but it was not just so that he could live longer. Jesus says in verse 4 and in verse 40 that this was going to take place for the glory of God. Now, remember, Jesus is in Jerusalem. Jesus is in Jerusalem for his last Passover. He knows that they plan on killing him while he's there. I also think it's interesting that then just a few weeks later, Jesus himself is in a tomb and his father calls him out of the tomb and says, hey, come on out. You've got new life too. And because of that empty tomb, we can have no more clothes. That's a pretty cool PS, huh? Anyway, side note. Um, John chapter 12, verse 9. John chapter 12, verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. (laughs) I <laughs> love that. They, they, they want to put Lazarus to death again. You guys, this Lazarus guy, let's, we got to kill him again because so many people are starting to believe in Jesus because of his story. Okay, Lazarus was dead on day four. Jesus says, come on out, shows that he's got power over death. And even in that moment, they're like, let's just put Lazarus to death again. That will take care of this, right? Wrong, actually. Jesus said Lazarus being raised from the dead was to be for the glory of God. And on account of Lazarus, on account of his story, on account of him being dead in the tomb for four days and coming out and breathing new life, people from that city in Jerusalem on Passover were believing in Jesus because of Lazarus' story. And Jesus said, this is going to happen for the glory of God. My hope, my prayer for me and for you, for all of us is that that will be true for you and I as well. That there will be people who are attracted and drawn to Jesus because of our story and the ways that Jesus has breathed life into us. Please pray with me. Jesus, I pray that you will um, use the words that you've just spoken to bring encouragement or to bring hope, to bring freedom. I pray, God, that we will be more drawn to Jesus as a result of looking at this story tonight. We love your, your, your love and your compassion and the ways that you grieved for your friend, Lazarus. I pray that our hearts will also break for the things that break your heart. I pray that you will help us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn. I pray that you will help us to be fully present to the people that are hurting and broken around us, that we can sit, that we can listen, that we can care for them, that we can let them know that it's okay to be hurting, to be crying, to be grieving, to be broken. We celebrate that you are the king and creator of the universe, and nothing, including death, is too difficult for you. And so we celebrate that on on day four, there is hope, and on week five, there is still hope because there is still Jesus. So, God, whatever it is that's going on in our hearts and in our minds, may we cling to the hope that you offer. And we pray that you will also bring freedom to the things that are still binding us, that are still tying us down, things that are still associated with this former life and not with the new life that you want us, that you want for us. So may you break these chains, may you take off these grave clothes. And may people on this campus see new life life, and be drawn to Jesus as a result of it. We pray all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.